welcome to Scaring Sam, where I subject my wonderful, ever-hangry fiancé to scary movies, testing limits of her nerves and likely our relationship, in hopes that one day she will come to love and appreciate the horror genre as much as we do. I like to call it exposure therapy for cinephiles. I'm James Reese, And I'm Sam Tippett. And it has been customary in the UK, arguably even before Dickens forced these spectral visitors upon Scrooge, to share a ghost story on a festive night. During the 70s, the BBC's A Ghost Story for Christmas carried the torch to ensure this long-standing tradition wouldn't be forgotten, as households gathered around the TV to be terrified and chilled in equal measure. Perhaps Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson are still haunted by the childhood memories of watching these tales, as they surely inspired them in no small part when their play, Ghost Stories, was first brought to life on stage. Nyman walked past the Fortune Theatre which has hosted The Woman in Black for over 30 years and realised there hadn't been another play which revolved around horror since then. We probably should mention Nyman also starred in a small row in the 1989 TV adaptation of Susan Hill's Ghost Story, which we covered last week. Check it out, everyone. <laughs> hint, hint. And this week, of course, we are covering the 2017 film adaptation of Ghost Stories. Yes, thanks, James. And I've just realised this is the first anthology film we've covered, as Sam had to endure three terrifying stories. And for her, they all elicited the desired effect. What of getting really scared, hiding behind my hands and curling up next to you, yeah? Yes. <laughs> I think you enjoyed that. <laughs> like I keep saying, if you want a good first date, take your other half to a horror movie when we're allowed back in the cinema. <laughs> Which is not quite yet, unfortunately. Yeah, it probably doesn't have the same desired effect if you suggest it in your house on a first date. No. No, that's creepy. <laughs> but... In a darkened room surrounded by strangers, it's perfectly fine. Apparently so. Yeah, as you know by now, I have to cover the plot. <laughs> Ghost Stories revolves around Professor Philip Goodman, a sceptic and professional debunker of all things paranormal, who is assigned the task of investigating three terrifying encounters with the supernatural. Which are all shot in the dark, I might add. Of course. <laughs> Why, of course? Because the clichés, they work on unsuspecting... Sam. <laughs> it's a new name for a podcast. <laughs> Not as catchy, though. No. That is the plot, isn't it? That's basically it, isn't it? Yeah. So, Sam, what did you think? Why am I singing? I do not know. <laughs> I've got the fested spirit. Fested? <laughs> Well, <laughs> long story short, um, there was lots of hiding behind my hands and jumping with this one. I kept saying to you, I don't like this. No. <laughs> and sorry for my potty mouth, but fuck that. <laughs> hey, just like um, Ripkin or whatever his name is. Yeah. Fuck that. Run out the car. <laughs> Which we would all do in those circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, this one actually really scared me. So it had creepy little a creepy little child. Tick. <laughs> the dark. Tick. Lights going out. Tick. 
No electricity. Yeah, tick. <laughs> um, then in the middle of nowhere, in the woods. Why are you screwing your face up? I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of all the numerous things we need to tick off. All the no-nos. Not locking your car doors. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't do that? I mean, put the safeties on, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no. No. I think I've said this... Oh, why am I covering my face? Um, I think I've said this before. The scared I am watching a film, the less notes I take. Um, yeah, let me have a look. Um, have you already gone through all your notes? Yeah, I think I have. So, what I do remember is that I refused to watch the live show of this. You went and saw this, didn't you, on stage? And I had looked at reviews <laughs> and people were saying it was absolutely terrifying. Well, I cocked up because I went to see this film first with AK, my hype man. And then we went to see it on stage for my birthday, mm-hmm. which as Sam said, she did not want to join us. And she missed out because we got some nifty badges, which is now my cookboard. Na 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 na. But I said I ruined it for myself because, unbeknown to me, the film sticks very closely to the stage play. Mm. Unlike The Woman in Black and the numerous adaptations of the story, they seem to go in their own directions, do their own thing. I guess, as a criticism, when a film is made by both the same people who created the stage play, generally the scares, beat for beat, are the same. So while the rest of the audience were screaming their head off watching this stage play, I felt like I was missing out because I was already predicting what was going to happen. Yeah, you'd already experienced it, so you knew what was coming next. But I guess, in a way, because it started off... It did start off as, sta- as a stage show, yeah, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, literally, that's you um, created it, yeah. Yeah, and it's then become more accessible for people to see um, it being a film. So you'll have people that want to go and see it on stage. Not at the moment, I might add. I can't wait until stage productions start up again. Um, and drag me to numerous musicals. <laughs> drag you? No, you're tapping along the way. Because <laughs> no, I so desperately want to see cats. Yes, yes you do. And I'm going to force you to sit down and watch it at some point. Speaking of stage work, we first meet Goodman as he publicly exposes a medium on stage for his TV show, Psychic Cheats. And he kind of begs the question, what's worse? The medium exploiting vulnerable people who have lost loved ones. I'm sure we've mentioned this before in The Conjuring. Mm. Or Goodman exposing the medium for being a charlatan, dashing all hopes for those vulnerable people who are clinging on to any form of semblance of people they've lost. Yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You've got people that, yeah, they're just wanting to cling on to any kind of aspect that their lost loved one is still somewhere. There's still that essence of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, we try to grab on to life so much and keep it, keep it with us so for him to do that in front of the audience i think is maybe the wrong way um 
but yeah, people actually, um, they might know that it's not real and not mind. They just want to have a moment where they're convinced that their loved one is still around and contacting them somehow. I think how they showed it, they had the woman in the audience whose son died from leukaemia and she only seemed to completely break down emotionally when she started to question whether or not what she was hearing was a load of bollocks. She was crying a bit before that. But it was happy tears. But then when she started to doubt what she was hearing and felt like she was being exploited after Goodman exposed this medium, then I think she lost all form of hope. But you would, wouldn't you? Again, it's that morally grey area of who's more in the wrong. Hmm. And then from then, Goodman is assigned with the task of debunking three special cases. I thought you were going to say three spooky cases. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't know I was going with that. <laughs> so we have case one, Tony Matthews, played by Paul Whitehouse, best known for his comedic roles in Harry Enfield and Chums and The Far Show, playing against type here. He reminded me so much of a caricature of Ray Winston. Question mark above my head, I don't know. What? What? Yeah, exactly. He's like the typical geezard man from British films. Oh, okay. You know, big, brawly, like, come here, you slag. Oh. Kick your head in. Wee, wee, wee. It's not very Cotton polite, your eye Drink a Guinness. Oh. Take my missus in the back, give me a good scene to... <laughs> Ray Winston, he was in... Oh, no wonder you forgot. He was in Indiana Jones 4. Ah, okay. The English guy. Nope. Who wasn't John Hurt, who was the double, triple agent thing, or... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I get you now. Yep. No wonder you wanted to forget. (laughs) Indiana Jones 4 doesn't exist. It's just a perfect trilogy. Yeah. They're not making a fifth one with very OAP Harrison Ford. Are they really? Yes. Oh, my God. Hopefully COVID has put a stop to that, and it's one of the good things about this pandemic. There's a time and a place to carry on, and I don't think it's now. Anyway, Tony is a night watchman for a former asylum, and it kind of begs the question... Why? Yeah, why? <laughs> why, are, why is there security in a clearly abandoned asylum? Yeah, what are they securing, seriously? There's nothing there. No, it looks like it's crumbling. Some lights and some beds, you know, with a, a mop that turns into a head at one point. There was like a mop thing on one of the beds. We thought it looked like someone's face, like in the distance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, now I remember. <laughs> so it's a former asylum for women. And he is suffering from a guilty conscience for no longer visiting his daughter who suffers with locked-in syndrome. hmm Kind of on the nose there. So the haunting starts with something disconnecting the generator to the electricity, engulfing the entire building in, in dark darkness. darkness. Yes, the first moment where Sam's butt started to pucker. <laughs> I wouldn't quite put it that way, James, but okay. Yeah, I I really don't like the dark. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm sure there's lots of other people out there that hate the dark. And as soon as it comes into any film, even if it's not a horror film, I don't like it. I think we're all still afraid of the dark, but we just avoid these situations where we're forced to be in it. Yeah. 
apart from now that it's heading into winter and where I work it's like a lake nature reserve and to get out of the office to my car it is pitch black so you go from a really well lit office you turn off all the lights and sudden darkness hits your eyes and there's all these weird noises everywhere I hate it (laughs) I'm not very comfortable with the fact that my fiance is stepping out into pitch black darkness in the middle of nowhere where anything could be lurking, like wild cougars. (laughs) What, you mean my manager's cats? (laughs) The power going out happens three times. And the third time is when Tony has ventured out of his office into the correction ward where we first see a glimpse of a ghostly girl. Mm, in a yellow dress. Yeah, who goes, da-da, through his walkie-talkie. Yeah, which is really fantastic, isn't it? Why are children's voices scary? Yeah. I just well, really we, hate it. You did your research last episode. Yeah, yes. I know, I know we covered it, but it just, even even doing research on it, it just doesn't help. <laughs> it's still scary. Oh, God, could you imagine, like, he was forced to, like, walk through, like, some dark country lane or something? maybe to and from a pub, and then out of nowhere you just hear this, da-da, or children's laughter as they're playing. I'd rather not imagine (laughs) that, thanks. You'd definitely be picking up the pace then. Yeah. Power walking. I don't think I'd be power walking. I think I'd be sprinting. (laughs) And then the door to cell 92 unchains and creaks open with a wailing child's voice calling out inside. And this is when you start noticing... Why do these numbers keep on appearing? Yeah, so I, I actually wrote a couple of numbers, didn't I? Um, the first number I noticed was the tenth one. It was on like a um, pub sign or yeah, something. Yeah, pub sign. With a tunnel. Yeah, it's like a weird name for a yes, pub. Was that, it called, that called number ten, wasn't it? Yeah, number ten or something. Um, and then it was the numbers on the doors. So we had like 79 and then 92. So yeah, that was a bit... A bit strange. And him going into that room, oh... Oh, what, were the walls lined with creepy mannequins? Yeah. Why? I'm coming in. No, no, just go the opposite way. Lock the door back up. (laughs) And, of course, when he gets deep into that room, the door slams shut, locking him inside, and right on cue, the torch starts to fail on him. And right on cue, Sam screams when <laughs> the girl's face just pops up when the torch is flickering. Oh, but she just wants to hug him. She did in the end, and then... Put her finger in his mouth. Yeah, why? Why? To make your skin crawl. Which it did. Which, in turn, encourages Goodman to visit his father in a retirement home. Because of his own guilty conscience. <laughs> Because of his home. (laughs) (laughs) And this leads into case two. Simon Rifkin, played by the ever-twitchy Alex Lower. If you can pronounce it that way. Alex Lofer. Alex Lofer. (laughs) Third time, Lungy. From the end of the fucking world. Can I just start with this one? That everything to do with this case just felt really uneasy and... Something was off. You mean the moment he steps into his family home and you see that unsettling sight of both his parents just standing there motionless. Is that a word? 
Standing. Motionless. Ugh. Motionless. 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 No. Motionless. Yeah, standing there motionless with their backs to us in the kitchen. Yeah. People don't stand completely still. <laughs> what about mime artists? No, they don't stand completely still. They're still moving. Okay, okay. What about those painted people standing like statues you see in London? Aha, got you there. Yes, but I think because we can also... We don't see their faces as well. And he walks away from the door and without seeing anyone there, it just slams really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. Here's a tip. Great way of attracting women. You line your entire bedroom walls with images of the devil. Except for one picture of Sooty and Sweep to calm his nerves. Yeah. (laughs) That was actually quite cute. (laughs) (laughs) But as Sam suggested, something is rotten in the state of Denmark, as the saying goes. I haven't heard that saying. It's a saying. Okay. But yeah, it's just his general twitchy, nervous performance. Mm. Just makes you uncomfortable just watching it. Yeah, and that's only the introduction to that character. His main part is when he's driving his dad's car, he's not meant to be driving it, and um, he's in the middle of nowhere in in the woods, and then he hits... What does he hit? This horned creature. Oh, you mean my sister-in-law. Jokes, people, I'm joking. (laughs) I've got the... Dirtiest look from Sam then. Yeah. Yeah, so Simon is guilty for being involved in a hit and run while driving his dad's car without a licence and then coming into contact with, I guess, the Jersey Devil. <laughs> well, it's just some kind of goat man creature. I know. But it, yeah, just waiting for something to pop out from the darkness. Again, it's all just about the darkness, isn't it? And it's the, the jump scares. The creepy abandoned building, and based on all those YouTube videos, that's always creepy. Mm-hmm. And then you've got creepy woods in the middle of nowhere at night, where anything could come at you in any direction. And you just keep hearing these weird, abnormal animal cries in the distance. When he tries to leave, he doesn't get far, as Simon suffers that horror cliche of a malfunctioning vehicle. A lot of cliches in this, mm. but unlike Friday the 13th remake, done effectively. And after Sam jumped at the sudden appearance of the goat man, <laughs> when it creeps into the back seat because he didn't lock the car, idiot, and suggests he stays, and in response he replies, Fuck that! <laughs> Which would be my response. That would be everyone's response. <laughs> Oh. But then some weird tree... Well, it's an ant, isn't it? It's basically a tree ant from Lord of the Rings. You know, the big giant tree men. No, I know what you mean. It's not quite. This leads into Case 3. Mike Priddle, played by Martin Freeman. A businessman so preoccupied with his work, he wasn't present when his wife died giving birth. This story is probably the worst one, because we've got the creepy kind of child sounds and then there was the doll so I was thinking oh god the doll's going to be moving or something and then um, when he starts hearing all the sounds it's not the doll (laughs) what the hell was that? 
It's a radiator. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. Okay, so the radiator's making noises. <laughs> um, where were we? <laughs> that freaked me out slightly. What was creeping you out? The radiator noise. No, in the out. film. Oh. Um, yeah, so he's gone upstairs because he's hearing lots of noises and stuff. And um, then we see the, the cover just floating about and taking the form of some kind of small child. Well, I should add, that is in honour of the shock ending of the 60s Whistle and I'll Come to You adaptation. Oh. Which is a classic British scare. So, yeah, we see that. And I was just... I was expecting something a little more. I'm still expecting something to come and jump out at me in the darkness. And your wish was granted. And, yes, it was. But I wasn't expecting it to be the wife. (laughs) I was expecting it to be a child. And then she just goes, We're dead. Oh, did she actually say that? Yeah, she goes, We're dead. Oh. And then she comes at you. Yeah. Again, it's the guilt of this which ultimately led him to blowing his brains out in front of Goodman. But before this takes place, Mike recounts his tale to Goodman in the remote isolation of the English countryside. Mm. And let me ask you something, honeybee. Now you're working on the nature reserve as winter is setting in, are you feeling that cold snap more than you ever did working in London? Oh, definitely. I've too now experienced a few winters working outside in nature, and whatever that sensation is, when you feel that cold in your bones you can't escape from, yeah. and you're looking out to endless grey skies and gloomy English countryside, whatever that feeling is inside that all of this invokes, I feel the exact same when I watch a ghost story for Christmas, and I get that same sensation watching this movie. And beyond that, I can't elaborate what that means. I don't really know how to respond to that because I just feel the cold and I need to get some thermals. (laughs) Yes, you do. Anyway, after trampling my poetic heart, (laughs) we haven't mentioned that throughout the film, Goodman is haunted by a hooded figure that makes its presence increasingly known until the tragic story of this ghost is finally revealed. Mm, Yeah. Callahan. A mentally disabled teenager that bullies called Kojak, who encouraged him to venture into a tunnel to find and count ten numbers. Hmm. Hmm, it's coming full circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Only it was a cruel prank. There wasn't a tenth number, and Callahan suffered from an asthmatic attack and died. So sad. The bullies forced a teenaged Goodman to helplessly look on only he never told anyone when he returned home. And he has lived with that guilt since. Because clearly, guilt was the major theme for this story. Yeah, of course it was. It was literally the driving force for every single one of these male characters. Yeah. So, what, is it like in Dickens stories where ghosts were metaphors for, like, fate? Are the ghosts in this metaphors for guilt? I guess in a way, yeah. They want you to go through... Oh, I don't know. Retribution? As we find out, in the end, it's revealed Goodman is in fact suffering with locked-in syndrome, leaving out the rest of his days in a hospital bed after failing to commit suicide. Not the most upbeat ending. 
No, it was slightly depressing, actually. <laughs> so maybe Goodman wants to atone for his guilt, but he can't. So he projects it all in these stories because it turns out in the end, all these characters that he interviews in these cases are in fact doctors and orderlies in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Familiar faces that are then acting out his guilt, yeah. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, it really puts me in a Christmas cheer. Yeah, <laughs> thanks James. <laughs> now that the nights are long and cold and you're cradling hot chocolate... And Harley's no. having the hot chocolate too. <laughs> Stop licking everything. I'll take that. We really should seize the opportunity to recount some ghost stories of our own. Great. <laughs> and lo and behold, I have one of our listeners' spooky accounts to share with you. Due to the nature of her workplace, we're using aliases for both her and the location. And the spooky sounds in the background are Harley. Stop chewing everything. Okay, you ready, Sam? Ready as I'll ever be, I think. <laughs> Farwood School was built in 1890 near London. It used to be an old hospital and convalescent home. After the Silverton explosion in 1917, children came to live there for five months, and during World War II, soldiers stayed to rehabilitate. What follows is numerous anecdotes that Grace either personally experienced herself or what her co-workers recounted. There is an unsettling room leading off the main school which a number of staff members refuse to enter because of the overwhelming feeling of fear that infects them. Turns out this was where the old morgue resided. Oh, yeah, I can, I can sympathise with people like that because whenever I go round to, like, someone's house, like, if it's a new place I've been to, um, I kind of get a feeling for it. Sam's clairvoyant. The cat don't care. No. The smell of an extinguished candle permeates the building, accompanied by the sound of a long skirt on wooden floors and a cold chill in the air, even in hot summer nights. A floating candle has been seen that moves from the main building to the old living quarters. All of this is the work of the Grey Lady, who may have been a nurse who hung herself in the surrounding woods. Oh. Is that actually a true fact, then? That someone hung themselves. Well, apparently a nurse hung herself, and they're just putting two and two together, I guess. Oh. Night staff sleep in a side room that used to be a lounge for wheelchaired patients who were wheeled out onto the balcony to enjoy the fresh countryside air. The balcony still remains, but the doors are now sash windows. One night, a figure walked through the wall, across the room, and straight through the people sleeping in, throwing them to the floor and out the windows. That's where those poor people remained, on the floor, paralysed with fear, until the day staff arrived to relieve them of duty. And it was like a few, it wasn't just like one person. No, a few people experienced the whole thing. That's weird, isn't it? In a large day room, an impressive old-fashioned toy railway set was found chugging along. When the witness quickly returned with others, it had vanished and was never found. Clearly some of the Silverton children never left. There's also been sounds of children playing in the playground at night. Creepy disembodied kids' voices again. Oh, no. Grace herself has encountered a lot working nights in her old place. Before she retired, she regularly heard a male voice shout out her first name. 
A female figure approached her down the corridor, only to disappear when she told her to go. Mm. What really rattled her, though, was the sight of these old-timey long leather boots in the centre of the corridor, which were obviously being worn by someone, but no one could be seen. Were they... Sorry, they were moving, or...? No, they were just standing there, but you could tell that someone was wearing them because they're, like, filled out. Mm, They couldn't be, like, stuffed with something or stretched out with a boot stretcher or... Well, Grace, she stared frozen on the spot for some time until the boots literally just pixelated out of existence. I'll conclude with an account which, unlike the others, may or not be connected with the high strangeness of Farwood School. A teaching assistant had to leave the school grounds in her car to pick up one of the students who lived in a nearby village. Turning down narrow country lanes, she crossed an odd-looking young man with peroxide white hair who walked barefoot. As the teaching assistant drove past, he shot her the most blood-curdling, menacing stare she had ever seen. Unnerved, she carried on by, arriving at an old railway bridge almost 200 yards away. And that same peroxide man was already sitting on the brick bridge, waiting with that disturbing, contorted glare. Safe to say, the teaching assistant travelled back the long way round. Well, it's obviously Draco Malfoy and he just disapparated, didn't he? (laughs) I don't know what that means. Oh. Okay, let's go to, like, Star Trek. Okay, he, like, teleported himself, basically, from one place to the next. Cool. (laughs) Maybe it exists. And on that bombshell, that concludes our episode on ghost stories. Did I spook you, honeybee? I think I'd say that I don't want to visit that place. Oh, so we can't do a special ghost hunting? No. Is anybody there? No, because we've done that before. (laughs) Not intentionally. And I freaked you out. And myself. (laughs) Yeah, well done. No, but seriously, when I visit places... um, So when I was looking for somewhere to rent um, a few years back, before I met you, James... um, I visited a few places, and one of the places, oh, it had the oddest feeling. As soon as I walked through the door, I was like, I cannot live here. There was just this weird... Aura? Yeah, like, it just, it it felt odd. It didn't feel right. Did you feel like someone was watching you? No, it just didn't feel right in there. Hmm. Because a lot of people think in those situations that they feel like they're being watched. Hmm. No, it just, I just had the sense... Well, that bad juju. It just didn't feel right. Something was wrong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I didn't um, didn't then rent that place. So. And then you saw, how much a month? Piss off. I'm not sharing it with a ghost. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ScaringSamPod. And you can email us at ScaringSamPod at gmail.com. Stay Stay safe safe out out there tonight. tonight.